0: This podcast is brought to you by Touch A Life.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Rupa Sunku, and I'm the chief evangelist at Touch A Life Foundation and TAL Radio, bringing you another episode of Career Elevations. In Career Elevations, our intent is to introduce you to some amazing people who can give you their paths and their course of life and activity giving you the opportunity to take away some of uh, the learnings uh, from these amazing people to be able to build into your own careers or your own situations at hand. So I am super excited to introduce a very close friend of mine, Sai Gundaveli. Welcome to the show,
0: Sai. Hi, Rupa. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you to the entire audience who are listening to this conversation. Thank you. Perfect.
1: So let's start with a couple of questions, Sai. The first question that I would like to ask of you is uh, what you do currently and uh, what has been your journey to your current position?
0: So Rupa, I run a software company called Solix Technologies. We're in the business of helping companies optimize their data for storage, compute and governance. We help companies uh, manage their data across all platforms, be it internal to the enterprise, external to the enterprise, everything that influences an enterprise, which increases their top line or bottom line, etc. We help them to kind of really mine it uh, is what we do that's my for my living uh, that's for my profit I'm also one of the co-founder of uh, touch a life foundation and tal radio is part of that and uh, that's for my passion you know to give back to the society etc our purpose of life is what I would really say so these are the two things uh, that I would really do now going back to your question how did I arrive at this stuff so may I'll, I'll go back to my childhood you know that could be so From until the seventh grade, I would say, I would say in in a class of 50 students, maybe I would have gotten the 50th rank in my class. So it was (laughs) relatively, you know, slow starter uh, in the very beginning. And uh, I, you know, it's just that, uh, you know, I was one of those kids. It was a slow starter. Uh, In the seventh grade, um, it just so happened, I actually failed in my math uh, uh, I think it was at that point at the time, and I'm talking like a way back in 1960s, 70s, etc. it was, uh, you needed to get like about 30%, uh, 30 out of 100 to pass. And I think I got uh, some 28 or 29 uh, out of uh, 100 and I failed. And uh, there was, I, you know, all my friends went to eighth grade and I was still in seventh grade. And uh, I was there in for almost like a thirty days, and a lot of people apparently failed that year, so they made the passing grade as twenty-seven, and uh, that's when I didn't lose any year. I got to my eighth grade because the overall government uh, at that point of the time lowered the passing percentage. You know, but the thirty days uh, created a lot of commotion in me. It was a an embarrassing moment and uh, I felt like I didn't do well and that was a turning point point. Uh, and uh, from that point of the time you know I started doing very well in my class and uh, I was uh, in my own family I was one of the first person you know at the time to get a super grade in my 10th and uh, then in 12th I got into Usmani University which was, you know I got in rank of about 200 in about, about 30,000 people at that point at the time. Wow. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think, you know, that's how it kind of really got journey until seventh grade, I was one. After seventh grade, um, it was a kind of really turning point. And uh, I completed my uh, mechanical engineering in Osmania University in Hyderabad. And uh, post that uh, thing, my dad wanted to come to United States. It was his dream to come to United States, but it was not possible. And uh, and uh, But that dream, he kind of really inculcated on me. And uh, I somehow wanted to go to the United States, but I didn't know why. And we didn't have any internet at the time. All I was fascinated was it was United States, etc. And um, I, I need to go. My dad could not go. I want to go, etc. And... Uh, uh, you know, it's one of those days uh, getting visa was difficult. And uh, here I went to the interview. I think almost 30 people before me, everybody were rejected. And I had the interview and uh, he said, why do you want to go? For some reason, I don't know why. I got my small thesis, uh, what I did in my engineering grade. He mm-hmm. said, you know what? I want to do more research. I was, I was actually naïve. At that time, I didn't know, uh, I didn't really think that much. I honestly said, you know what, I want to do more research. This is the project I did. The guy got fascinated and he gave me the visa. And, uh, you know, I I came out and when I told I got my visa, my dad was like, oh my God, wow. Uh, (laughs) And uh, because everybody was getting rejected and I got the visa. And that was uh, another turning point. But uh, here I got the visa the next thing, my dad started worrying. He started worrying that he doesn't have enough money to send me, forget about the school fees. He was getting worried, you know, how do I send my son to United States? I don't have even the airfare. Mm. And uh, here I come to come back after getting the visa. And um, the next day, I just started visiting all the banks and saying that I want a loan, you know, uh, to go to the United States. And, uh, I remember it was one of those days on a Friday morning, I, you know, early morning, eight o'clock, I got ready and went to a place called Abbott's and I was going to each and every bank. I think the bank just got open and, uh, I said, I want a loan and I want to go to the United States. Again, that was a turning point. The guy, for some reason, he just liked me. I met him at 10 o'clock by 1230. I got the loan. Wow. On Friday, I think by Monday, I had money to kind of really catch a flight and I come to the United States. So that's how you know I think uh, my journey came and uh, obviously you know coming from a lower middle class family you know coming to the United States for the first time was tough and uh, I was very lucky. I got a scholarship from Professor Golahali and uh, that paid bulk of my tuition and I was uh, working on Department of Energy project uh, during my master's. That was only mechanical was obviously, you know, I didn't know computers or anything like that. Uh, I did my bachelor's in mechanical and I pursued my mechanical engineering. But in the school, most of the seniors were actually pursuing PhD. And I realized they're pursuing PhD because they could not find a job or they were worried that they can't find a job. And I'm talking about like a... Uh, You know, this is, uh, you know, post-Jimmy Carter's time. Economy was very tough. I'm talking about like a 1986, 87, you know, time frame, etc. Yeah. Uh, And uh, I was sure that I didn't want to pursue my PhD education, etc. I wanted to find a job. All I realized was I was good in math. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was doing some computer programming. Actually, I was doing basic programming. I was kind of really getting fascinated, interested, and I kind of really did well. You know, I did learn some basic programming by myself, et cetera. And once I graduated, I said, I have to find a job. And uh, I just had my father's friend in California. He said, he'll give us an accommodation to find a job. And uh, I drove all the way from Oklahoma to uh, California uh, looking for a job. And that was my first journey to even get out of uh, for such a long distance, all by myself, all the way from Oklahoma to California. But somehow there was a there was some gut, there was some it needed to be successful. It, it, there mm-hmm. was not a whole lot of uh, choices at that point of the time. And here I came to California, and uh, I found a small company in uh, Oakland. And uh, when I said, like, look, you did mechanical engineering, and and there was he was doing some software for textile manufacturing companies he yeah. said how can i give you a job i said like just give me a chance and uh, i'll prove myself and uh, it was a software uh, programming job and all of that and uh, i started uh, you know on the job you know i was working about 15 hours per day or whatever and working and learning and programming at the same time and uh, it it was interesting it was uh, Oakland was not a good area at that point at the time. Right. And, uh, but I used to walk around 2 a.m., 3 a.m. to my home, to room. And uh, somehow, it, it, it was not a whole lot of a choice. But later I came to know, you know, how infested area that was. But luckily, you know, I kind of really survived. And in three months, uh, did well and started doing well. And uh, in three months, my salary almost kind of really, I started with almost like a thousand bucks and it became 2000 bucks and then 3000 bucks. And then that company was so small, it wasn't really doing well. And uh, there was a company called Ariks Corporation.
1: Uh-huh. They were
0: building the first multiprocessor computer at that point of the time. And uh, I kind of really sold myself. I understand manufacturing, mechanical engineering. I also understand programming, so I can be a good sim. They used to call it computer-integrated manufacturing, Uh or I can help on the manufacturing. And uh, uh, there I got my uh, first job building. They were writing the Unix operating system and all of that, and that was a time, you know, I was lucky enough. I got married, and, uh, you know, my wife, she was a software engineer, I used to print the code every day. I used to go home and start learning the entire computer programming, the Unix programming and all of that. And, uh, you know, I think by about three years, I started doing well. I made a little bit name myself. This guy knows manufacturing and this guy knows software as well. And at that time, Cisco was a, you know, was a startup. You know, they had like a manufacturing and uh, they headhunted me saying that, hey, we're looking for some SIM engineer. Would you be interested? First time, I said no. I'm in a safe job. I don't want to move myself. I ignored the job, and but it so happened the company was not doing well. They started laying off people and all of that. That was my first experience in terms of how people, you know, can be thrown out uh, just like that. You know, companies was not doing well. Right. And Cisco again approached, and uh, and I joined Cisco. I took the offer. I was just at the right place at the right time. It was just a few hundred people, Cisco, where you can meet John Chambers in a cafeteria kind of a thing, John Margaret, John Chambers. They had a tremendous amount of energy, a lot of people from Stanford, Berkeley, uh, high caliber, Ivy League, well-funded. And uh, it was my golden opportunity to learn from a lot of people. Stock was, you know, growing up by 100%, literally Mm -hmm. every quarter kind of a thing at that point of the time. Okay. And uh, it was a very tough environment, but I kind of really survived. Cisco was also a very tough company. There were like layoffs and very productive oriented kind of an organization. And I worked for four years and uh, and I was uh, on top of the mountain at that point at the time. You know, stock did very well and I could potentially retire at that point at the time. Wonderful. And uh, I was less than 30 years. You know, that was when I said, you know what? You know, this is an opportunity, God's given opportunity. You know, when I'm in my rocking chair in my 70 years, when I look back, I want to feel <laughs> proud. Uh, that's what I thought at that time. And I mm-hmm. I said, I want to do something on my own. And uh, I quit Cisco and I had a meeting with John Chambers. You know, he was asking. I, said, I told John, this is a golden opportunity for me to do something uh, on my own, etc." You know, this was a time when... You know, companies uh, started emerging in, in, from India like Wipro, uh, Infosys, and all those companies. And also, before the, the prior couple of years at Cisco, Cisco had a vision that someday they'll become a multi billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said they want to implement uh, ERP in the entire enterprise. And uh, Cisco hired KPMG, and uh, they went a they did a fairly very vigorous exercise in researching all the companies out in the market uh, who can supply the ERP software. Oracle was pretty new. It was an interesting learning experience. Uh, Cisco spent a whole bunch of time and uh, they finally selected SAP. Then here comes like a Larry he said I'm going to buy your hardware, you buy my software and uh, Cisco decided to implement Oracle at that point of the time and uh, you know it was a good learning experience how sales and you know these things really happen, etc. And uh, implementing uh, ERP at uh, Cisco uh, was a tremendous experience. I built a relationship with Oracle and learned a lot. And, and I felt like, you know what, ERP is going to play a very important role all over the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when I went to Oracle and said, like, look, I want to build a mini KPMG. You know, KPMGs can help our large companies. What if I can build for small companies? Mm-hmm. And uh, they actually build, gave me the partnership and they gave me the software. And uh, that's that was my beginning. And, uh, and I said, okay, let me build my company. And uh, I was new. I started a company in India and uh, where I was starting to build uh, like a mini KPMG where I wanted to build services on... Oracle Applications, uh-huh. and uh, that was my start in 1996, and uh, started doing that stuff, and uh, and slowly grew the company and all of that, and uh, around 98, 99, you know, my wife, uh, she wanted to do something, and we kind of really invested in our first product company, um, that is Imaja Corporation, in 98. You made the investment at that point of the time, and uh, that was a time where dot com era was there. You know, highly inflated prices and uh, and all of that. Around 2000, the market started crashing, mm-hmm. and uh, whatever I have built also started dying. I even had an office in uh, New York, and uh, the nine eleven had an impact, and uh, the entire business. It kind of crumbled and um, 2003, three, four. you know, it was a downturn All the, I think Wipro, which had a revenue of like less than $100 million in 1999, suddenly it took off. Any company that had a good infrastructure back in India started doing well because all the companies, given the market crash in the United States, they all started going back to India and I didn't have the infrastructure. Mine was a very uh, garage kind of a setup back in India. Mm-hmm. And I said, I can't do these services anymore. You know, obviously, U.S. with all people, companies going back to India, etc. I had to be myself. And uh, so that was when Google, I was kind of really trying to figure out what I want to do. And Venus Company was doing well. And uh, Google, they came with a device to do searches even in an enterprise. Okay. So I went and partnered with them and said, like, let me take this Google search and see if I can build a company in the enterprise. So we did some integration work and we took it to enterprises. And they said, wow, well, I like the search, but I don't know why I should pay you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I don't even know what data that I have. And, uh, and that, that kind of really opened up. You know what? A lot of these enterprises don't know what data they have what if I can help them to understand what data they have? And that was the beginning of this new company, Solips Technologies. We said we'll help companies to understand what data they have, collect the metadata, help them to the search, et cetera, kind of a thing. And uh, slowly we said, you know what, one of the value proposition is I can help them to archive the data, you know, take it from a high-cost storage to a low-cost storage, mm-hmm. improve the backups and, and all of that. That was the beginning, and uh, from a uh, our journey from archiving. And uh, now we are one of the top three in the world on the enterprise archiving space. And we have expanded the platform to touch all the data in the enterprise, both the active, semi-active, inactive data, etc. We provide the governance. Uh, we prepare the data for analytics. We feed the data to uh, companies like Snowflake and Databricks and all of that so uh-huh. we're, we're like an IEA for AI. IEA okay. is Information Architecture for AI. So that's, I know it's a long answer for your question, but that was a journey from my seventh grade too.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. I'm in awe listening to your story. I have heard bits and pieces of this journey that you've had multiple times in multiple occasions. But um, I actually think I have a really nice saying that would sum up all of these bits that you have shared with us, such a rich experience. And I'm sure people have been listening to you very intently. And to me, the quote from Pele goes, success is no accident. It is hard work, perseverance, learning, studying, sacrificing and most of all, love of what you're doing. So I think uh, I could hear in your narrative the uh, different failures that came by you and you didn't see them as failures. You saw them as an opportunity to uh, reinvent, as you said, or go ahead and look at what is the latest and the greatest and look at what is the need of the day and that is just fantastic so super exciting to hear uh, your journey sai so let me ask you with all of these you know different uh, scenarios that you had to confront what do you believe gave you that fundamental force of passion or perseverance that you put into play was it the academic background or was it more of you trying to live that big American dream or is it uh, something that your father had laid as foundation for you to aspire for?
0: Yeah, that's a good question, Rupa. I, I would say I, I was insecure you know, from the very beginning and that created that fear of being unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. And uh, at all points of the time that was working on me uh, to push myself and and I would also put you know one of the thing I would also put add to what you just said a pinch of luck also and uh, perseverance hard work and with a pinch of luck you know makes all the difference so I would say uh, it, it's just that a sense of insecurity that I need to do better and it it always pushed me and uh, I, I think that's what always uh, you know helped me to kind of really reach where I am right now and I feel i also add like a lot of luck to that entire thing, you know. Fantastic. Uh, I don't, uh, I, I can't really, you know, just being at the right time at the right place. But all I, all I would say is like, when you just continue to keep trying, there were like so many occasions where I felt maybe, you know what, made a mistake, et cetera. But as you keep trying, I think uh, new doors started opening up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, now when I look back, you know what, I think uh, just not giving up and uh, being focused, being sincere in your efforts, being honest to your efforts. I think when you continue to do that, I think it's very difficult for you to lose the game.
1: Fantastic! That is just so beautiful. Love the simplicity and the humility that you add to the flavors that you've shared with us of your journey. So let me ask you, do you believe that networking or mentorship or uh, other aspects of uh, influences in the society that make you be who you are and do what you do what do you think is your strongest suite with some of these influences
0: so i would definitely you know it's it's a, there is a saying right it's uh, what you don't know is what you don't know and <laughs> uh, so it's it's important in a journey you got to learn from others so well, I was part of uh, TIE, uh, T-I-E. Uh, it's an organization that helps entrepreneurs. It did help me in networking. It helped me to kind of really understand other entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. It helped me to kind of really understand their journeys. And uh, and I'm, by the way, I'm glad that what you're doing, this is a great show because people want to get a pinch of inspiration. People who think, you know, they are the only people who have a lonely fight. When they listen to other people and whether you Dr. Narayan Murthy or any of them, nothing was easy. Everybody had a struggle. And I think it will help them to kind of really understand and uh, uh, is is what I would really say. So, you know, networking definitely helps. You know, they say, right, you know, people go to Harvard not only to learn, but to network. So it's not what you know. It's who you know also makes the difference. (laughs) And uh, uh, I think uh, networking connecting to the right people. They say, right, you're uh, average of five close people that uh, you're closely associated with. But kind of really also, you know, people you pick and whom you're closely associated that provides you inspiration and and all of that. And I think networking uh, definitely played an important role. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, the, the discipline to figure out what you want to do. It's aiming spend 80% of your time to figure out what you want to aim Mm -hmm. and make sure that you're aiming, you know the ups and downs and you know the challenges and all of that. I think uh, once you pick, then absolute focus, absolute discipline, and you will see some challenges. Mm -hmm. And uh, as long as you kind of really continue to strategize how to overcome, learn from others. Typically when I get into any problem, I kind of, my way of solving that is, I, you know, library is my way of solving. I get books mm-hmm. on the topic. I study other people, how they've tackled it, what they've done, what they've not done, et cetera. And I try to learn from that. It's almost like a networking know Instead of asking a person, right. I read a book that the person has written and, and I use that to kind of really solve my problem. It kind of really helped me from that. And, uh, And I had the discipline to control my mind. It's uh, it's the wisdom, right? It's uh, a average person' brain controls them, but uh, people who have wisdom can control their brain to control, you know, from a strategy perspective, from a Mm -hmm. discipline perspective, focus perspective, and setting milestones perspective, managing people, and all of that. I think a lot of these things will start coming in as long as uh, you know some of these things are not taught in school. And you learn in life. And uh, I think uh, what you learn in school is one aspect. But once you get into business, it's it's a completely different aspect. So I think books are a great treasure. Most successful people, if you hear, they all say they spend a bulk of time in reading books or I do spend a lot of time in reading books and particularly from a business perspective, psychology perspective, managing perspective, planning perspective, financial planning perspective, and all of that. So I bring all those things and kind of really helps in reach where I am right now.
1: Amazing. Amazing. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Touch A Life and uh, your journey into the nonprofit sector to help the underprivileged and folks that uh, need direction so what uh, initiated that uh, whole journey or that process for you and uh, just give us a little bit about what the inspiration drove you to work towards or aim towards
0: uh, thank you Ripa. that's a good question so so you know it, it, it just so happened uh you know you know at least my journey my wife's journey we all came from a lower middle class we have You know, we had had a vision, one day we wanted to buy a house, one day we wanted to buy a car, and every time we achieved these things, it was happiness, it was success. And then when I look at the next generation, they have like a lot of these things already. And uh, I was uh, kind of really thinking, how do they really understand and respect these things? And uh, so we used to fund uh, kids' at Foundation for Excellence, Uh, these are like a kid's underprivileged and uh, and this uh, non-profit provides uh, funding for these kids back in India and uh, and uh, and some of this every year they do an annual event and i used to take my entire family including my kids and uh, so some of these kids come and used to kind of really present their story what was the situation literally very very poor people how the funding helped and changed their life it, it literally Brought tears in a lot of people's eyes at that point of the time, and uh, my kids were also emotional. And they said, like, look, if these people are doing back in India again, being born, brought up over here, why can't we do the same thing in U.S.? Right? We can't really encourage them because we wanted them to kind of really understand, uh, you know, happiness, the pursuit of happiness. When you you you'll know when you know when you'll start appreciating what you've got when you know bunch of other people who don't have the same thing etc so we started going to the local school started helping uh, and we were doing fundraising and all of that in a little way and we started this foundation called Touch Alive and uh, the entire family kind of really got involved and as the kids started growing up and uh, then we said maybe you know we can doing bigger things and that's where we said like we hey, just kind of really start, we will build this crowdfunding platform and uh, mm-hmm. will not charge any money on the crowdfunding. And then we said, we'll do crowdsourcing as well. And, you know, time also can be donated. Nobody's really tapping on it. And uh, that was our first the foundation in a little bit larger scale. But then we said, like, a, you know, you could have a great technology, but then we said, we need some good marketing. And that's when we came with our internet radio, Tal Radio, which you're listening right now and then we said we need a lot of volunteers and said where do we get the volunteers and then we said we need to tap into high school kids and all of that and uh, mm-hmm. we said we'll create uh, we created this tal scouts getting in all these kids who wanted to find voluntary opportunities and all of that and uh, that's how we kind of really came with TAL scouts and then we said we need a lot of successful people as well and uh, that's when we kind of really created it like TAL leaders, people who have been successful, who want to give their time, who want to mentor, who want to take up a board-level position, etc., like you're as a TAL leader. So, so that's how we kind of really started. And uh, But as we started going, we said, like, you know what, instead of using the only tools for ourselves, if we can provide the tools for nonprofits, because the statistics were less than zero 0001% are like a very successful nonprofits. Like I'm talking about like a Red Cross. They get like a multi billion dollar. Then they're really like a lot of small companies. You know, they don't even, some of them don't even have a webmaster. They don't have like a marketing, they don't have the technology and then right. the compliance and all of that. We said, you know what, maybe we'll reposition ourselves as a platform for the nonprofits to use the, our entire resources at zero cost. And for them to do more good, etc. And we kind of really reinvented and uh, we added TAL wines to the other where it's similar to Uber Eats where people buy wine on the platform, but the profits will go to the nonprofits. So nice. it's, a, it's a digital platform. It's an absolute 100% transparency. The foundation does not take any money. We created something called charter membership. Uh, any charter member are the ones... They're donating money to run the operation and all of that. And uh, as my company, Venus Company, et cetera. And uh, similarly, we've got Hints & Boone, the law firm, has agreed to donate their time. We also have got uh, our CPA firm donating their services. So we created a platform where you know charter members take care of all the costs. And there's an absolute transparency, 100% of the donation goes from donor to donor, minus any... Uh, bank charges or anything like that so we provide absolute transparency we also let crowd to kind of really comment on anything if they see any fraud or whatever kind of a thing so pretty much right now we have a digital platform connecting people who need help to people who want help where there is a transparency where it's guaranteed 100% of the donation is going from donor to donee, and all records are there for you know for them to have the trust that the money has actually gone for the cause and all of that stuff. So that's where we're kind of really bringing a lot of nonprofits onto the platform. And uh, that's where we are uh, at this point of the time. And we hope by next year, we'll extend the platform to corporates so that they can see the local needs. They can also not only money donation are... You know, time donation or thing donation, like giving laptops or whatever is the idea. So I think if we can bring youth, if we can bring nonprofits, if we can bring corporates, if we can get corporate donors, individual donors, we hope we can do a kindness commerce platform where it's a blood donation, book donation, Mm -hmm. mentoring, teaching is the idea. We still have a long ways to go, but from a vision perspective, we want to create a kindness commerce platform where uh, absolute transparency, visibility, and uh, people uh, can you know donate, and uh, we can. We also want to create uh, virtual currency kindness points. You know, every time you do good, I think uh, you know we want to be able to reward with a point, and at some point of the time, we expect to get the those points to be monetized as discounts or our uh, freebies and all of that stuff so it's just having fun gamification creating a digital platform for giving is the whole thought process
1: awesome amazing you know the one thing that strikes me through both your stories today is the way you look at the ecosystem holistically focus on what you would like to make a difference with and go for it that is just fantastic and on top of all of that your humility is just amazingly obvious in every scenario and every narrative that you've shared with us this evening thank you so much for your time Sai for uh, having joined us And I am sure there are lots of people out there who can relate to your journey and can also help embellish their journey to be able to go get that new idea or their new perspective into action and uh, it all takes a little bit of luck like you said with a lot of hard work and perseverance so thank you again for joining us today i'd like to request all the listeners of the show to come and join us for our World Kindness Day on the 19th of November in Santa Clara Convention Center. This is a opportunity to network and understand the giving platform that Sai has shared with us today and an opportunity to get into the lives of uh, the underserved and opportunities that are out there uh, with the various nonprofits serving our uh, larger community right now. It is a time of need. It is a time of uh, renewing your vows to what you want to pay back to society and pave the path for the future of society. So definitely do join us for World Kindness Day again on the 19th of November in Santa Clara Convention Center. And uh, I'm sure you have learned a few tidbits to pivoting your journey and come back and listen to us and listen to a number of wonderful people that I will introduce you to and their journeys to give you ideas or spokes for your pursuance in the future. Thanks again.
0: You have just listened to Tall Radio podcast.